0: you're good I haven't talked to you in so
1: long You know the summer has come and gone and now it's fall which is my birthday
0: month well October is my birthday month and on November
1: oh so it's birthday
0: season for us it is cool I don't know you felt like you were you were going somewhere with the with the fall
1: I'm really excited about fall this year I decided to like really go all out and just decorate
0: do you normally not like fall or
1: well, usually, um, you know, I'm from the north, so fall kind of decorates itself.
0: But yes, here in, it does not. in
1: Texas, it still looks and feels like summer with some brown, dead trees here and there. So I decided to make it look a little bit more fallish.
0: You have to. I wish I could think of this guy's name, um, but he has YouTube. He makes YouTube videos. You maybe have seen him. He does the... Um, he does like the Christian ones where he's walking through the mall and he has a scripture for not shopping. Anyway, you don't look Never. like you know. But um he did one about girls in fall. And all I could do was just laugh because he would pick up leaves, like leaves, nature's confetti. And it was just pumpkin, it's like, oh, this marshless this candle. Toasted marshmallow. It smells like fall, and it was just so over the top dramatic. But it's like, yes, that's how I feel about fall because everything is so snuggly and warm. Except, like you say, in Houston, it is. It's just hot. It's still hot. And it's still hot. <laughs> you're not putting on <laughs> socks to keep warm or snuggling under a blanket. You're just trying to take things off because you're hot. All
1: right. So, so I'm I'm enjoying fall this
0: season. It is so. I have like this crazy story which will kind of lead into where we are going and our guests were today so over the summer i um was a director at a summer camp and there was this guy who was a counselor and i used to uh work with him at ust and he would come into my he had to come into my office like once or twice a semester to sign paperwork. And at one point she went by a certain name. And then at one point I noticed that she began to sign her name he. Okay. And he worked. And when I saw him at the sum over the summer, I could not remember if the transition and where it went. So I kind of walked up to him, and I didn't know sometimes if he wanted me to acknowledge him or what to acknowledge him as. And I just said, how are you? And, was like, and he said his name. I'm like, oh, yes, Brian, because I, uh, I didn't want to say the name. And that leads into where we're going today because we have an endocrinologist with us who specializes in transgender. Um, is it transformations? or? transitions. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know, it's kind of stood out to me because I felt like it was nice to me when this person finally used the name that they were presenting as. as Thank God it
1: wasn't something like Pat. (laughs) 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 Yes.
0: Brian. Yes. And I'm like, but the fact that it's like he started out with the the feminine version because I guess he was a she, but now he's a he and it's like, but the fact that he felt comfortable enough to finally, I mean, it's not a religious university, and to be able to say, okay, this is who I am. Yes. So, but you get to see these transformations, transition. You get to see these transitions all the time. So tell us about it. I mean, I want to know from, like, from the beginning, the medicine involved. Just, I don't know. I mean, we only have 35 minutes, so you can't tell us everything, but.
1: But maybe first you should start with your
2: name. Yes, you should start with your name. <laughs> I'm Jessica Zlater, I'm an endocrinologist in the Houston area. Um, can You all hear me on this thing. I take care of mostly transgender patients in my clinic, and I do the hormone part of things. So Ooh. there's a lot of different ways to transition. Usually people start with the social transition, but not always. And that's when they start to adopt the gender role of their, of their preferred gender. They start telling people about it, coming out, picking a different name, dressing different, changing pronouns, all that stuff. Um, then they come to see me, and I help with the hormones. So that's the easy part. <laughs> and then sometimes we do a legal name and gender marker change, and
1: sometimes there's some surgery involved.
0: Ooh, so is it difficult for the uh, gender marker change? Is it difficult? What no. exactly
1: is a gender marker change? So yeah. it's
0: just changing
2: our driver's license to say female instead of okay. male, or male instead of female. I thought it was something cool. like a
1: gender marker. I'm like, so <laughs> like process, you can know that the gender is no longer female. It's... it's
2: there's not a blood test, unfortunately, but we call it a gender marker change instead of a gender change because we're just changing the marker. Okay. Um, some people call it a gender marker correction, which makes more sense because we're not changing it, we're correcting it. Okay. Um, but in Texas, <coughs> it's different on every state. In Texas, it's surprisingly easy if you go to Austin, you just fill out some forms and show up to Austin and they'll sign it for you and you're done. That's great. If you go to any other county, it's usually a pain. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Is it more just because Austin's the capital, or is it because Austin's more... It's because every liberal. judge in Austin is liberal.
1: Okay. That's why okay. so a lot of adoptions happen, too.
0: Really? For,
1: um, for uh, same-sex couples. I didn't know that. A lot of... When, um, if you, if I, like, say like, we were a couple, and I carried, you have to adopt.
0: Yes, that is true.
1: And it, I know that it happens in Austin. And I'm assuming that's why. Mm-hmm. But I know here, even in Houston, like when we did, uh, when it's our friend's adoption, it's an outright adoption, both, n- neither um, mother carried the child. We had to go all the way to Rosenberg. Do they and live in Rosenberg? No, they live here in Houston, but they said that that's where the judge does it. Like that's where they could find a judge. A sympathetic judge.
0: And I wouldn't think Rosenberg would have been like the least
1: of places,
0: mm-hmm. but yeah. apparently
2: not. Well, in Harris County, they're not approving gender market changes, not because the judges aren't liberal, but because they think they don't have jurisdiction, and since one judge decided we don't have jurisdiction over that, they're all following the precedent.
1: Okay. I've had one
2: patient get hers changed in Harris County, and it took a year and a lawyer and a couple of court dates, and they're, we're trying to get more people doing it through Harris County so we can Maybe establish a precedent.
0: Brian. But right now, everybody goes to Austin. So if anyone's listening and you need to have a gender marker change, um, fight it. So maybe you can help to establish precedence. There you go. Okay. So what's the the fun part of your job? What do you look forward to doing every day?
2: It's just so great to go see people get to be their authentic selves. A lot of my patients come in and, you know, there's a lot of social anxiety and depression that goes along with being transgender. Not because being transgender messes you up, but because just living in a society that doesn't accept you and having to not be yourself every day, you know, I mean, it's not great for your mental health. And so watching people transition and adopt the gender role that they really want to be inside, it improves mental health, it decreases suicide risk, it, you know, a lot of people come off their depression medications or their anxiety wow. medications.
1: And it's just wonderful to see that, see yourself just blossom. I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, um, what... What made you want to work in this field? <coughs> I don't have a good answer for that. I've always just thought it was interesting. Uh,
2: so when you went to medical school, you, were, you knew that this is the field you wanted to work in? No. no. I had thought gender medicine was interesting back in college, but I thought, oh, well, only surgeons do that. They just help intersex babies. I didn't realize there was a whole other field of medicine. And then I went, kind of forgot about it, went to med school, liked internal medicine, liked endocrinology. I liked working with younger, healthier people, reproductive health, that sort of thing. Um, and then decided, you know, I can do hormones. Mm-hmm. So I did it. I didn't never thought it would be a big part of my practice. I always wanted it to be, but didn't realize how many trans folks were in Houston. Right. And that's pretty much all that I have now, which and, is wonderful. Exactly. And then you're probably really good at it, since that's all you see. I've gotten really good at it, yes. <laughs> and like, what exactly are hormones? Are there
1: pills that you
2: take? Is it so, like, there's a lot of different ways to get them into your body. Um, testosterone, almost everybody does shots. Yeah. They're <laughs> easy and effective and convenient. It's once a week. For how
0: long?
1: Forever.
2: And that's much. if you're trying to
1: be more masculine. Yes.
0: yes. I could never be a man. I don't do needles. <laughs> you like, Exactly. If I ever question
1: anything like else, you don't
0: know, if, if, if there was any desire for me to be a man, that right. They're like, nope, I'm a woman. <laughs> We're going to remain that way.
2: Well, if your gender identity is female, then you should keep the with
0: Yes, it is. But
2: if you do have an issue with, with needles, and you want to change. So there's other ways. I mean, there's a topical gel that people can use, and there's patches that you can use, which is just a little sticker you put on your belly, or your butt, and change it. The testosterone's changed every day. But the shots really aren't that bad. I've got a lot of people who are afraid of shots. We can give them as a subcutaneous injection, which means you use a skinny little half needle needle that goes into the fat of your belly. Um, and most of my patients, they get real nervous about it. We do the first shot and they look at me and say, I freaked out for that. Oh, <laughs> I didn't you. even feel it. Um, I've tried the needles on myself
1: and I hate needles. I don't even know. Like needles, I freak out for needles right before it happens and I always think to myself, that wasn't that bad. I, I never don't know think that. I don't know what it is, though, about needles that like, hurts. The They're not that bad. Not <laughs> yeah. the freak out part. Like I'm not like, I'm like yeah. nervous. I have to pretend I'm okay because I'll do it mm. usually in front of my children now that I have three young kids mm. they've been to, they come to the doctors with me when mm. they get their flu shot I get my flu shot too to show them yeah. how oh, great you're
0: such a good mom. I am.
1: <laughs> a mom? And um well, I'm just... always like inside freaking out I'm like okay.
0: There's a difference
2: between a shot or a blood draw and a testosterone. So with the testosterone injections, it's a small needle. You do it every week. You get to do it yourself, so you're completely in control of it. How many okay. gauges is the needle? Oh, you can do it 27 or 30. And kind gauges are the, the little, little smaller a gauge, the gauge, tinier okay. the needle. Okay. Um, so a flu shot is usually 22 to 25 gauge. Blood draws 20 to 21. And these tiny little shot needles so, we use are like 27.
0: What's a butterfly needle? A is butterfly a baby, is right?
2: one that you use to
0: No, what do? gauge is it?
2: 21, 22 they so small. Yeah, these things are tiny. Um, but when you're doing a testosterone injection every week, you're getting something really good out of it. I mean, a flu shot, you get something good out of it, but it's not something that people are usually super excited about. Mm-hmm. But when you're injecting testosterone, you start to see your voice drop, periods stop, you get some body hair, you get facial hair. It's exciting. You can okay. get changes, and so you just reinforce that every week. You keep doing your shot. You keep having the changes, and then all of a sudden, it's like no really big important. deal. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, it's exposure therapy. I can see that. Um, For estrogen, most people do pills. We also have patches. We have shots. Most of my patients prefer shots because they just seem to work a little bit better, and they're a little bit safer than pills are. Why aren't pills safe? Just the way that it's metabolized by the liver. It creates some byproducts, and those higher byproducts are associated with higher risk of blood clots and breast cancer and things like that. Okay. Pills in general or these particular pills? So every pill is subject to what we call first pass metabolism where your liver gets first stims of breaking up all of the,
0: whatever was in the pill, but estrogen is very susceptible to actually being broken down. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I set the timer and I, the The conversation's so good that we didn't even- It's <laughs> <even go to laughs> the, the fact that I thought that I had turned it off. Maybe it's what happens when you're over 40 and you think that you're still technologically savvy, but. Anyway, continue.
1: <laughs> well, that was pretty much it about those. Okay. But I'll be taking a break.
0: Yeah, let's take a break um, so that we can give our voices a rest because you hear I sound like a man. Maybe I've been taking something. But <laughs> uh, we'll be back in just a moment. Okay. So a few minutes ago, Jessica, I asked you what you like most about your job. So will ask. What do you like the least?
2: Oh goodness,
0: billing. <laughs> no,
2: billing is easy. I'm out of network with insurance companies, so I don't have any of that fight. Thank goodness. Okay. So billing. So good. does that make it expensive for your patients? It's actually really not. We um, charge sixty dollars a month for a membership, so there's no okay. extra cost for visits or anything. People can call, text, email, portal message, however they want to get in contact with us. Okay. Um, the meds are really cheap. Estrogen is forty bucks for a vial that lasts. Three to six months, depending on your dose. Testosterone's about forty bucks for a three-month supply, or so. Okay. Needles are cheap. Labs are twenty to thirty bucks every three months.
0: I was, I was really surprised
2: when I went into this. I thought testosterone was going to be a lot more expensive since it's a controlled substance. But... Mm-hmm. Very cheap. Okay. Actually, it's interesting. I think a lot one of the big reasons the price has dropped is because a lot of insurance companies had stopped covering it for a while, thinking that you know this isn't. A lifestyle choice it's something that you don't have to have and so the drug companies responded by lowering the price so people could buy it oh
0: big so pharma did something good <laughs> <laughs> but
2: usually
1: market that's forces how the it.
0: Yeah, yeah market forces.
1: in general like um i noticed the medical field works like that it's a different it's a different game once you don't have insurance because they know they can't charge that much because no one no one has that type of right. like funding that insurance has or something that. As as insurance is not in the picture, prices do
2: drop. Well, that just makes everything so much simpler. When I look at people who get surgeries with and without insurance, um, for example, top surgery, a lot of my trans men want to have their breast surgery removed. Okay. It's about $8,000 out of pocket. With insurance, they usually quote you know, $20,000 to $30,000, and then your insurance covers some portion of that, which hopefully is less than $8,000, but not always. And then they have all the rules you have to follow. So insurance will say, great, we'll be happy to cover your surgery if you have been on hormones for a year and you've lived full-time as a male for a year. And then you have to go see these three therapists with these very specific degrees and they all have to write you a letter and then you have to submit all of this stuff to the insurance company. It's so many many hoops to jump through and for
1: people with full-time jobs and kids and stuff, you don't have that kind of time. Just the fact that you're still asking. You can still get no at the end of the day, mm-hmm. and a lot of times they will turn it down the first time, and sometimes the second time. But all of those appeals
2: you have to do are just wasted time, right?
0: Mm-hmm. So a lot of times insurance will ultimately approve. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Depends on the plan. Um, I think all insurance, all new insurance plans that have started post Obamacare, are required to cover transgender-related medical expenses, but many of them don't anyway. Um, any plans that were grandfathered in, so that haven't changed anything since Obamacare was passed, some of them still have the trans-related exclusions. Okay. Mm. Which is silly, because trans medical care is so
0: cheap. I mean, so overall speaking, I think it's more just politics well, or society.
2: I think insurance companies in general exist to not pay money for things, and so anything they can exclude, they do. That makes sense. So it's not a form of discrimination. I mean, I think it is, it's a more socially acceptable form of discrimination. Mm -hmm. You know, if they started saying, we're not going to cover vaccines for kids, then people would be out on the streets rioting. But it's just trans people. Most people don't know a trans person in their life. It affects a relatively small portion of the community. And so there's not as much outcry about it. But things are changing. Surgery. A lot of more insurance companies are covering surgeries, which is very helpful for my patients
1: and so I think um he was asking and somehow I cut, I changed the topic and I asked you another question but what about your job that you don't like
2: there really isn't that much I mean there's always just issues that come with running your own practice you know oh did I remember to pay the rent check this month I remember <laughs> to oh we're out of needles and I guess I should buy more of those right you know just those kind of day-to-day things that can I have time for patients, time to stay up to date on research, time to see my husband and my kid once in a while?
0: Right. So do you provide the supplies that your patients need since you say that you remember, Mm -hmm. did you remember to order needles?
2: Yeah, I didn't when I first
0: started out because I I didn't even think about it. And I had enough people
2: try to buy things online and couldn't get the right stuff or they'd come back in and be like, hey, I got my needles. And you know, those are giant. You really don't want to inject with them. (laughs) So somebody said, "Can can I just buy them from you? Yeah, that would make sense. Okay. So I can buy them wholesale. I sell them to people. It's easy because they come in a box of 100, which will last you for two years if you're injecting once a week. Most of the time, if you're trying to deal with your pharmacy, like CVS or Walgreens, they have the wrong sizes and then they'll give you one less supply at a time. Mm. Because they, yeah, everybody worries with the opioid crisis. Nobody wants to supply a bunch of needles to some beans and heroin. Right. Even though, you know, that's not the case. Even though we've shown that. Providing clean needles to people who are addicted to injective medications. It, it, it actually, actually benefits. benefits. Yeah, because then those people aren't getting HIV, hepatitis, one more illnesses that are ultimately the cost of one
1: by the state, and the patient now has a disease they can't get rid of. Right. It okay, then mm-hmm. costs more money. Exactly. And some, there's a lot of things that are preventable, and, but um, insurances or society the government, whatever, Mrs. is not willing to provide that makes perfect sense. Politically, it doesn't look very good. If you're from a conservative mm-hmm.
2: place and you run a lot, or your, one of your main talking points is family values, decreasing drug use, that sort of thing. It doesn't sound very good to your constituents to say, oh yeah, we're giving, we're spending taxpayer dollars to give clean needles to drug users. You even if ultimately that will lower costs, improve quality of life, decrease risk of AIDS and HIV. And Right. You know,
1: hepatitis and stuff like that. Like right. I wonder if they just educated their constituents a little <laughs> bit better about these things. Would it make a difference? I, I,
0: wonder. I wonder. But I guess it's just like with teen pregnancy rates that are drastically lower in communities that have um comprehensive sex Yes, as, as opposed to abstinence-based, abstinence the teen pregnancy rates are lower, so you think that people in more conservative communities would value that and say, oh, well, this... But
1: wouldn't." It, but that would make birth <clears throat> control and that goes against certain people's religion. It needles, they're not in the Bible. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, we've never that? talked about needles. But he's never <laughs>
0: talked about needles. But, I mean, if we're talking separation of churches, they, Jesus shouldn't even come into the picture right. anyway. But, no, I, I see where you're going with that. I, I don't know. Technically, we're not going to have this conversation because the whole sex and marriage thing—marriage isn't mentioned in the Bible, and especially in the Old Testament. I think it's really—it's not mentioned very much in the New Testament. So, we well, talked about marriage a lot. It was marriage between a man and a woman,
2: or a man and several women, or a man and you know and some people, several. some prisoners of war that they found. You
0: know. It wasn't the standard one man, one woman. Exactly. No the the concept that we have now, marriage that wasn't mentioned. So.
2: But on the topic of comprehensive sex education, it's interesting. There's also a movement toward, in more liberal areas towards including more LGBT information in sex oh, ed. that's awesome. So that if you have somebody you know, who's 11 years old and has realized that they're gay or trans or bisexual or something like that, it's really nice if they can see themselves reflected in that information. So they're much more likely to use it if sex ed doesn't focus only on
1: penis and vagina. Makes a reading, right? Because there's lots of other things involved. So now, do you do you work with just adults, or do you work with children as well?
2: I work with adults. Um, I only do hormones. I don't do puberty blockers, which is what we start for our younger kids um, right at puberty to delay the changes associated with puberty until they're ready to start hormones. Um, i See kids as young as about 15 to start hormones, just as okay. long as they have appropriate parental support and they're in a good place to and ready to start hormones. Okay. Puberty blocker.
0: What well, made you questions. not go the puberty blocker
2: route? Because those people need a pediatrician. Okay. <laughs> I don't have training in and, okay. and kids, and I want to make sure I'm not messing anybody up. No, that makes but, it. So okay. you want to
0: stick with one thing and do it mm-hmm. very well yeah. as opposed to doing multiple
2: things. <laughs> Puberty blockers are wonderful. They've been around for a long time. Um, we started them for precocious puberty, so cisgender kids who would start puberty at six or seven, which is obviously not appropriate. And um, it basically just turns off your body's reproductive system. It's temporary, it's reversible. So once you stop taking that every three month shot, where you take out the implant out of your arm, puberty starts nice. So what I you think can they do. They've done it also for like mentally handicapped people. Mm-hmm. Yep, you can do it for prostate cancer when you need to suppress testosterone for minimally handicapped people. Usually we don't use that one; we use a different kind, of, kind mm-hmm. of blocker to maintain things, but anybody who needs to not have their own reproductive system working. Right. Um, but it's nice for kids when they start puberty, which can be a very distressing time since their bodies are changing in a way they don't want them to be changing. You know, it's not really appropriate always for a 10 or 11-year-old kid to start, you know, developing breasts or something like that, but blockers can... Slow things down, buy the kids some time, buy the parents some time to come around to things. Wait until it's more socially appropriate to start hormones. We used to not start hormones until 18 because that's when you're legally an adult. But it's also awkward when all your friends have hit puberty and you're still prepubertal at 17 and a half. Right. Then we moved to 16 and now it's just kind of whenever the kid and the family
1: are ready. Okay. And it's socially appropriate. When did it start moving to like 16
2: maybe. Okay. It's, they're a little more liberal over in Europe, mainly. Um, we have a lot of research. that comes out of the Netherlands because they have a mm. state-run health care and a very good registry. So we have, just have a lot of data on them. Um, but They started switching to 16 10 years ago or something. Okay, I think I started a kid on hormones at 14 years and 10 months with excellent family support, excellent mental health support. Came in, was really distressed that all his friends were starting puberty
1: and he still had a high voice and no facial hair so it wasn't a trans
0: situation
1: oh it was a trans kid okay okay
0: because it went from female, female to male okay.
2: Okay. okay. so we started him on a little dose of testosterone and gradually increased it and now he's keeping track with his peers and he's a happy healthy well adjusted kid
0: so when that? you transition from pu from uh, puberty blockers to hormones so would it be when it's just time for that next puberty blocker you would start the hormone injection then or would usually overlap so a little bit. Overlap, okay.
2: Uh-huh. So hormones, so if you get estrogen or testosterone, it will suppress the body's own reproductive system. Okay. Testosterone is more effective than estrogen in that. Um, but you want to make sure you have a high enough dose. Okay. So you don't want to withdraw the blocker when you're on a baby dose of hormones. Okay. Because then you've got both systems active. And <laughs> that can cause a lot of distress if you're getting, you know, your voice is deepening on testosterone, you're starting to get some facial hair, and then your period comes back. And that can throw some kids into really bad depression episode.
0: I things will do <laughs> okay. I'm just think because when you're saying it, I'm like, I can imagine your voice is getting deeper. Maybe someone would get breast, and that or would it even or would it be more your period that starts first? Or
2: so, if we're talking, um, somebody who was assigned female at birth who's mm-hmm. transitioning to male, there we don't start blockers until you've already started puberty, okay. Um, and most kids don't get on blockers, they have to realize that they're trans, be able to. Have vocabulary to explain that be in a stable household situation where they can tell their parents and their parents are supportive, and then the parents have to realize that they should act on this, and then they have to have the resources to actually do it. So very few kids make it to blockers. Okay. Usually, I see people who are you know figured out when they're 17, 18. They come to see me when they're 22 and financially more stable.
0: And then they have to have. Is it a? Is it still considered a mastectomy at that mm-hmm. point?
2: Yeah. So. We call it, there's a lot of names for all these surgeries. The vocabulary is constantly changing, but mastectomy or male chest reconstruction. um, Sometimes we call it gender-affirming chest surgery, that sort of thing. But yeah, so if you've already started your period, had breasts grow, you know, you've developed hips and all that, your facial structures have changed. When you start on testosterone, some of that reverses and some of that stays. So breasts might shrink a little bit, kind of the same way that they do postmenopausally. They're just not quite as perky. Um, but they're still there.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. We all get that.
2: <laughs> um, facial hair will start coming in, voice will start dropping, body hair comes in. With time, you'll start to lose hips and fat goes in a more kind of male pattern distribution.
1: Does this happen to women too when it go through menopause?
2: So mm-hmm. when women go through menopause, the their estrogen lowers, but their testosterone doesn't rise.
0: Okay. So my hips won't get any smaller. <laughs> <I don't laughs> what <I'm> <laughs> That's what i Wait, wait. I hear something. Good
2: <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm thinking. I just want the
0: hips to go away. That was the best part of being pregnant. My butt went like away, and then it came back, and it's depressing.
2: Sorry. It's okay.
0: Well, we're getting near the end of talk. Is there anything that you want to share? I just to say about your job.
2: It's just, it's just been such a fulfilling thing i never really thought that i'd be able to have a practice that was almost exclusively transgender patients but i'm one of the few doctors i talk to who likes going to work every day yeah a few people <laughs> <laughs>
1: everyone likes
2: what they do i love what i do It's awesome it's just such a wonderful thing to see these see all my patients just blossom into the people that they've been meant to be um, and parents support your kids if they have questions about their
1: gender. You just validate them; they'll figure it out. I know and some they're trans, they're trans. Yeah. Well, I know some people who don't understand um, the trans community as far as like when it comes to children. Mm-hmm. Like they're afraid that people are um, drugging their children.
2: So nobody gives hormones to kids. You don't give hormones until. You know, 13, 16, 18, something like that. Right. You know, if your four-year-old is assigned male at birth and wants to wear a dress, we don't take them to the doctor to give them estrogen. Right. You know, you just kind of wait until puberty. Um, So no one's drugging children. (laughs) There's a range of what we call gender creativity. So gender is not just male and female. It's on a spectrum. We know there's people in the middle. Gender identity is not um, necessarily binary. Gender expression, which is how you like to express your gender. There's a lot of diversity. So some kids are assigned male at birth; they identify as a male. They're a boy. There's never any issues with that. Some kids who are assigned male at birth like to wear dresses. You know, they like sparkly things and unicorns, and maybe they also like Spider-Man. But that's okay.
0: (laughs) And our children have found (laughs) us. So, I think that we should probably wrap up for the day. Would you all like to say hello? Hello. 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 <laughs> well, thank you, Jessica, Anytime. For, for joining us. You. And thank you. I mean, uh, you need to get this, this car. Okay. okay, thank you. <laughs> I mean, didn't know what's in this room. <laughs> I know. He walks in, he sees a car. I need to get yeah so anyway thank you for joining us jessica and um if there's any resources that you would like to share um links websites feel free to give them to us so we can upload them um you never know you might have someone who needs your services you have a great day Brianna, and jessica
1: okay bye